Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. It has been a, um, a great joy and a great honour to be with you uh, over the last number of days. Um, I actually, this isn't, this isn't my first time uh, in New Zealand. Uh, my family and I, around 2004, actually we, we lived in Wellington uh, for about 13 months and uh, enjoyed that, windy, windy Wellington. Uh, it certainly is that. And um, it was a great joy to, to just be, be there and, and, you know, obviously be a part of your nation for a season. And then, um, then we moved back to the coast and um, it's a great honour. Look, this morning I just want to, before I do anything else, is just acknowledge, um, you know, that I'm here on assignment. Uh, sent, I'm an extension of my home church, Hope You See. So uh, I want to greet you in the name of my senior pastors, Pastors Mark and Darlene Check, And on behalf of my church, uh, I'm, not, I'm not an itinerant ministry. I'm not uh, some guy that's unconnected and just trying to do good things for the kingdom. I, I am one of an army. And so when I stand here, I stand not in my own authority and not in my own anointing alone, but in the multiplied anointing of the sending dimension of my house. Uh, it's very important. I, I say that, you know, to bring honour, but I say that actually to model something. Uh, because as I travel around the world, there, there just seems to be this thing about, well, I've got an anointing and that gives me then a ministry and that's not true. God will anoint a donkey. Doesn't mean he has a ministry. Right. But, but it, it, it is because we actually weaken the kingdom when that happens. I said I was going to be pastoral this morning. I, I am. I am. I'm going to jump into that in a moment. But I, I, I just, I say that just to say, you know, I, the, the epic, I love the local church and I, I love this. I love this. And I, I know that, you know, just like in every family, there are frustrations you know, dad gets up and says stuff and you go, oh my goodness, you know, and mum, she's always crying or, you know, always hugging everybody. And, you know, there's all these, the brothers and the sisters are always fighting. Um, but it's okay. Like that's family. That doesn't mean that you quit family, right? It just, it's just what we are and how we are and we make it work because, you know, blood is, blood is thicker. Well, the anointing that joins us together and the oneness of the Spirit is thicker than any argument and any, you know, you are ugly to me today. Well, that's fine. Call it and say it and all that. But we don't leave one another. How do I separate? You know, we don't separate one spirit, one, you know, one heart, one vision. That's, that's how you build an, an arrowhead in the city. That's how you pierce through what everybody else is doing. You know, that's how you do that. You together, you know, one army, one voice, one, one man standing, you know, and so, um, so it's a great honour. It's a great honour to be here in the midst of, uh, midst of the circumstances as well, as tragic as they are, and just be able to just maybe speak some life and um, stand in a, you know, in, in, a, in a posture in the spirit. Uh, we, we just don't realise, I, I have to say, we, we just don't realise how powerful we actually are in the, th- you know, in the spirit, in, in, in one believer, one saint, Filled with the Spirit of God, I mean, just makes the difference. We're atmosphere shifters. We we get to calibrate 
what, what the atmosphere is and penetrate and influence. And it's been a great joy to spend time in the summit and speak to the, the, the staff and the team here and the business people and then some of the marketplace influences and, and really just unpack that in a significant way. You know, I, I, we've been talking back and forth a little bit. My, my church is called Hope UC. The UC is, is uh, an acronym. It, it's Hope Unlimited Church, right? And um, when, this is about 10 years ago, when Mark and Darlene came to the Central Coast and the, the name of the church came out of this, this charge that, that Mark felt, Pastor Mark felt the Lord gave him which was that that he was that we would be a church that were ambassadors of hope to our city, and that's why he wanted to put hope in the name of the church. And you know, then we played around with the acronym, and we felt it was really cool to put UC because we literally are the hope that you see in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, in our workplaces. You know, in the in the in in the day to day, that we literally hope. Uh, hope walking on legs in our community, and 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 then the, the quest was he he. Um, I remember uh, really giving us a charge to say we we are called to be crusaders of hope, and and let's go on a journey to discover what does that look like, what does that feel like? Because you know, hope is more than a word; it's more than a sentiment. It's a it's it's something that actually people feel and see, and it, it it's it's real. It's it's more you know it's it's not just a, a nice notion. It's not just a pretty thing, but it's something else. I um when people ask me about about hope you see, and they say to me, well, Dave, okay, you know, church and like I'm talking about other Christians, and they say to me, so what's what's your church like? You know what. Explain that to me, you know, and they think I'm going to talk to them for the next 20 minutes about Darlene Check and the way you sing Shout to the Lord every week. Uh, and we don't. We, we don't at all. Uh, what I explain to them, I just say to them, look, uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. And so the only way that I, the way that I can remember it is I, I have three symbols that, that I talk about when I talk about our church. And the symbols are a table. Um, a greater than symbol, you know, in the mathematics, you know, the greater than, it's like a slide V, and a cloud. And here's what I say. This is how I explain the church. I explain the reason why, I, you know, the table, the table is that, that as a church we're aspirational, that everybody is invited to the table. Everybody's invited to the table of hope, you know, and we look for opportunities to do that. We say that the table is a place of intimacy. And so no matter how big we get, we actually want to be intimate in our connections and authentic in our relationships with each other. And so that's a value, like that, that, that's the table. So when, when, we're, when we're building something or, or there's a, a program or something that we're doing, if it violates the table, we don't do it. And let me tell you how, let me tell you to the extent that we do that. The extent that we did that was that we decided that we weren't going to build a mega church on one site in the city because we value the table. Now, there's nothing wrong with big church, by the way. The problem is that, that when the church becomes several thousand people, if you try and put several thousand people in one meeting or one building on one Sunday service, the, the table is diminished. Because, not because there's not an anointing there, it's powerful, but, but just the, the dynamics of, of just group dynamics begins to disintegrate at about the 300 mark. 
At 300 mark, the actual size of the gathering begins to work against intimate connection and it, be, it feels event. And you, you've then got to fight everything you can to try and make it intimate again. You've like got to work double hard, triple hard. And by the time you get to several thousand, you know, it's a real challenge. So one of the things we did was he said, as we saw when, we, when, when Mark and Darlene came, the first three years, the church grew at 40% every year on top, on top, like that's compounded growth. So we were busting out of the walls. And instead of going, so what we said is we said we want to honour the tables. So we, the strategy we had was rather than build one church in one suburb on the coast, we were going to build multiple campuses so that we could capture, we could keep the intimacy and yet, so, so Darlene used to say it this way, we want to remain intimate in our connections and ever increasing in our vision. Intimate in our connections, but ever increasing in our vision. And so we built multi-sites. multi, multi sites And the, the greater than symbol is, is, is so much, you know, it, it speaks to our disposition. So we say things like, Jesus is greater than, he's greater than fear, greater than calamity, greater than depression, greater than sickness. You know, so the idea was that each of us as crusaders of hope, when, we, when, we're, when we're speaking with our neighbour, when we're talking with our work friend, when, you know, when, when people are telling us and sharing with us the depths of their heart, not that we would preach at them, but that we would keep deep in our heart that no matter what the tragedy was, that we believe that Jesus is greater, that the gospel is greater, that the, the love of God is still the answer, irrespective of the details that we would have. And so we've tried to engender that in our, this isn't positivism, it's hope. Hope, right? There's a difference between the two. There's so this thought of hope and the cloud, we call that we 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 call that the presence, and we say we 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 want to we want to honor the presence of God in everything, in our worship, in our in our gathering, in our conversations, in our prayer. We have some things where we say we no matter what happens, we pray first. We pray first. No matter what it is, we pray first. We talk about the divine linger. We, 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 we try and live life with a divine linger upon us. We linger in the worship intentionally because we're trying to invite Holy Spirit and say, come on, overtake this. We, we linger in our prayers. We just, we just, yes, we want to pray, but we linger. We, we're inviting the presence of God in our midst. And um, so it's a, great, it's a great honor to be on staff and on team and, and really involved in that. And it's not a perfect church by any means, you know. I always say in the church, you know, we're, like, we're a normal church. We've got the crazy cousins. And I always say, if you don't know who the crazy cousin is, it's probably you. <laughs> it's probably you. Let me give you a scripture. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 we're going to turn there in a moment. Jesus is um, he's a good Jewish boy. So every Saturday on the Sabbath, he's been going to his local synagogue as a good, as a good Jewish boy. And, the, the, you know, the, the process there, it's quite, they're quite long services, um, you know, uh, on, on a Saturday. And what would happen is that they would bring out the scroll, the Torah, and... And, different, you know, the, the, it wasn't like they had a, 
NKJV Bible. So it wasn't like just, you know, the Torah was different, different scrolls. Well, what would happen is the rabbi and his assistant, they would, they would nominate a scroll and, and what they would do is they would bring that particular scroll out for that Saturday and they would, uh, they would bring it in and then they would honour the congregation, uh, the members of the congregation by each, each Saturday, they would hand the scroll to one of the young men or the emerging sons, as it were, in the, in the synagogue. And his job would be to open the scroll and read it out loud and, and, and then sit down. And once he sat down, then they would, they would kind of unpack that and debate that amongst themselves. And so that was the practice. And the scroll, could, it could have been anything. You know, it could have been Deuteronomy. It could have been Genesis. It could have been any part of the Torah. Well, this particular uh, Saturday that's recorded here in Luke 4, Jesus is in the synagogue and they grab a scroll. And for whatever reason, the Bible records that they decide to hand the scroll to Jesus and, and Jesus opens the scroll up. And here's, here's, the, here's the part that Jesus is given to speak out. It's, it's, a, it's a part that's in the book of Isaiah. But Jesus does something different this Saturday than what they normally do. What they normally do is literally read it verbatim. They read the Torah verbatim, right? I mean, that's, that's good. You're not supposed to change Scripture. Jesus changes Scripture. Because, see, when Isaiah, when Isaiah wrote this prophetic psalm, he was prophesying the coming Messiah. This is what the Messiah would do. Jesus, or in the audaciousness of himself, he reads it this Saturday as if he is the Messiah. He says this, it's in Luke 4 verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim, uh, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He personalizes it. Have you ever read, have you ever just been in these sort of, you know, when you're reading your Bible and it's almost like as you read it, you go, that's God's ideal. You say, you know, it's almost like it's separate to you where you go, as I read it, I know I'm supposed to be that and that's God's ideal and I'm working for that. But the reality is that for the New Testament believer, the Bible is not an ideal, it's your mirror. It's actually who you are. You just, for most of us, we're just not awake to it yet. Let me, let me read the same scripture, but this time out of the Passion Translation. Because I, I, you know, uh, it brings out something. So in the Passion Translation, this is how it reads. It says, this is Jesus speaking, but through the Passion. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has become, has begun. Jesus was anointed of the Father because of something. The anointing on your life, the, the, the touch of the Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit of God on your life is not just for goosebumps. It's not just so that you can say God is with me uh, by itself. It is because. You see, 
The work of the Spirit on your life has a purpose beyond you. It's, it's in you and upon you, but it's always attached to a great purpose. No matter who you are, whether you are, whether you are a, a worship leader, a youth, uh, kids, whatever, or whether you are a doctor, lawyer, barrister, candlestick maker, baker, I don't know, you know, the list can go on. The anointing is upon you because of something. There's a purpose behind it. It's, and, and it's not something that you leave when you leave this building. It's not something that you go, well, yes, I'm anointed to come to church. I'm anointed to pray at home. I'm anointed to be a part of my connect group. You are that, but you're anointed way beyond that. The anointing translates. It translates into your school as a student. It translates into your workplace. It translates into your neighbourhood. It translates into your, you know, your sporting fields. The anointing is assigned to a, is put on you and is assigned for a purpose for you. And it feels like something and it looks like something. It looks like something. The anointing on you looks like something in the marketplace. Looks like something. R.C. Sproul, who's a great theologian, he, he wrote this thing, uh, he wrote this comment about Jesus and he says, the word Christ, you know, when you say Jesus Christ, he says Christ is so often used in conjunction with the name Jesus that we tend to think of it as his surname or his last name. He says, however, Christ is not actually Jesus' last name. His actual name, Jesus' name would have been Jesus bar Joseph, meaning Jesus, the son of Joseph. That's, that's actually how he would have been known. Rather, Christ, the, the, the thought of Christ is a supreme title given to Jesus. And what does it mean? He says, the meaning of Christ is drawn from the Old Testament. God promised the ancient Israelites that the Messiah would come and deliver them from their sin. The idea of the Messiah carried into the New Testament with the title of Christ, right? The Greek word Christos is from where we get the English word Christ is the translation of the Hebrew term Mashiach, which is the source of the English word Messiah. Mashiach in turn is related to the Hebrew word Mashiach. Are you still with me? It means to anoint. In other words, when the New Testament says Jesus Christ, what it is saying is Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the anointed one. When, when, when the New Testament is talking about Jesus, it's talking about the anointed one. And, and in the Old Testament, we, we find the anointing, the anointing was always, you know, we anoint, the, the priests were anointed, the kings were anointed, the, the prophets were anointed. Jesus came as the anointed one and was set apart, the Bible says, the anointing on him set him apart or commissioned him for a work. Now we know the work that, that in, in 1 John 3, 8, it says the work, it talks about the work that Jesus is anointed for. And it says when the people, 1 John 3, 8, it says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God, talking about Jesus, He came to destroy the works of the devil. The anointing on Jesus was given to him for the assignment to destroy the works of the devil. Now here it is. If you're born again, you have an anointing. And the anointing on your life is no different to the anointing on Jesus' life. 
that your, your, the anointing on you is actually given to you to destroy the works of the devil. Well, how does that, like where? Where does that work out? In, in church, in Sunday expression? No, it works out in your heart, first of all, in your home, in your neighbourhood, in your workplace, in your region, in your city. The, the anointing on you is, is given to you in a peculiar way to destroy the works of the devil in your sphere of authority, in your, in, in your Monday to Saturday expression. For some of you, that's your business. For some of you, that's your workplace. For some of you, that's your school and your university. For some of you, that's your social groups. For some of you, that's your sporting clubs. But, but the anointing on you is given to you to destroy the lies and the work of the devil in the lives of people around you Monday to Saturday. Amen. It's got, to, it's got to turn into, it's got to be that practical. Now, now, you know, you say, well, Dave, that's great and that sounds fantastic, but I mean, how does that work out? Well, that's what we've been talking about at the summit for the last, you know, yesterday and we'll, we'll talk some more this afternoon about that. You know, I, I've been telling stories because I like to tell stories about how this works out and I'll tell a story that I, I told the other night, but many of you weren't there, so... You know, there was a young girl in our church and uh, she was she's a wonderful worship worship artist, like wonderful. Anyway, she, she was uh, already beginning to write some beautiful worship songs and as a result of it, through really a series of events, a lady uh, in America offered to, to sponsor this young girl. She was in her early 20s, sponsor her for two years, pay, pay all her flights to fly to America to actually go to Bethel and pay her accommodation, pay all expenses for two years so this girl could go to the supernatural school at Bethel and uh, really hone this, this real gift of, of worship expression. And, um, and this lady was going to underwrite it all. And so this young girl, her name's Bonnie, she called me and told me this over the phone and then said, can we have a coffee? So I thought, great, this is fantastic, you know? So I would go and have a coffee. And the moment we sit down to have a coffee, I, I, I think to myself, oh, she's not just calling me to brag. I mean, I think she's got a question. I could see, you know, she's dancing around. She's telling me about how amazing it is. And something inside of me goes, no, she's got a question. And I said to her, Bonnie, this is fantastic, awesome. And I said to her, so why am I sitting here having coffee with you? You, you know, you could have just told me on the phone this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a great friend. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor in this church. I said, why am I here? And she says, because there's just this little thing. She says, it's just this little thing that's kind of on the side that's, that's just got me maybe not fully convinced that I should take this thing. I said, well, what's that? And she says, I'm really actually, she goes, I'm a bit embarrassed about it because it's this little secular art thing. You know, I like art. And she goes, I do this little painting stuff, but she says, it's secular. And she says, I feel like, you know, is the devil trying to stop me going to, you know, this, this spiritual thing in Bethel and, you know, this amazing thing is, is like the devil trying to stop me. So I said to her, um, who told you that art was secular? Like, who told you that, you know, anything is unspiritual? She said, well, it's not like religious paintings. I'm not painting, you know, doves and crosses and fire and, you know, <laughs> eagles, you know. And she, she goes, it's kind of abstract. So we started, you know, so, so the, the rest of the coffee was this breaking down of actually nothing secular if, if you're in it because you're anointed. 
right? You're anointed. You bring an anointing to it. You bring the Spirit of God to it. And so she started to think about, so the, 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 the decision here isn't about, do I do a spiritual thing or do I do a worldly thing? Because it's all spiritual because whatever I'm doing, I bring an anointing to it. I bring the presence of God to it. I said to her, exactly. So she went, she prayed about it, and she called me a week later and she said, I, I'm not going go to I'm not gonna go to America. I'm not going to take that. I'm, I'm, I feel like as I prayed about it, the, the art thing has, I'm scared. She goes, because I feel like I'm letting go of something that's amazing. She said, but this art thing, it just, she goes, I can't shake it. I think maybe God might be able to do something in it. So we have another coffee after that. And I said to her, what if you stop talking about that art thing? And rather, rather than think about you're just going to paint nice pictures for people, that you, you, maybe God's trying to commission you to create portals through your art into the spirit world so that the presence of God can touch people, even people that don't know God. So that, that spoke to her and she went home and tried to work out how do I outwork this anointing in the art thing. So this is how she, this is how she did. So when people would commission her to write, uh, to, to paint a painting, she would come and interview them. And as she was interviewing them, so she'd have a pad and she'd be just asking them questions and writing down. As she's asking questions, she'd be praying and asking the Lord, Father, would you give me a word of knowledge? Would you give me a word of wisdom? Would you give me a prophetic inclination of actually what you want to say to this person? And as they'd be talking about, hey, can you paint this concept of a sunset and all the rest, she'd be downloading words. And maybe she'd be downloading words or scriptures around the Father's love or, or something like that. And so she'd write those scriptures on a pad. She'd never show the client, by the way, right? These are non-Christian clients. She'd never show the client, never tell the client what she's downloading, but she'd just write it down. When the client would leave and she began to paint the painting, before she began to paint the painting, she would write the scriptures in the canvas. She would write the prophecies and the words of knowledge into the canvas. Then she would paint over it and then paint the picture that, you know, that was coming out of her as it, that the client had asked for. On the day that they, then is the unveiling, when the client comes to, to get, get the, as it were, to see the picture for the first time, the picture would be covered with a, you know, something in the studio and there'd be a chair, a single chair in front of the picture. And so what she would do, she would invite the client in and she'd say to the client, please don't look, don't unveil it yet. I'm going to leave you for 10, 15 minutes and I'm going to ask you to just unveil the picture and sit down, have a look at it and just let it speak to you. Because, you know, I mean, arty people, they like that stuff, right? This is like, you know, they're all creative and all that sort of stuff. So... She said to me, she called me, uh, you know, when, when I checked, I check in on her every little while, you know. I said to her, how's it going? She goes, Dave, unbelievable. I said, what's going on? She said, I'll walk back in after 10, 15 minutes. And she goes, many a time the client is on the floor, like crying, you know, just unconsolable. And she says, I'm, I picked them up and put them back together. You know, they got the puffy eyes and all this stuff going on. And she's like, tell me what's going on. And, says, and they, they would say, she said, they would say things like, I don't know what's going on, but I know you asked you to paint me a sunset or something. But every time I look at that picture, I can't help but be overwhelmed by the, remember, the memory of my father. Or, you know, so let's give an example. My father and just his love for me. And, you know, uh, talking about their natural father, you know. And, 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 you know, every time I'm there, I just, I feel this pull into the picture and uh, just this sense of I'm a, I'm a, I'm a daughter in the, in the, in the, in the fa my father's embrace. And, 
you know, and, and many a time that's the scriptures, that's the prophecies that are there, you know. So she's painting portals. She's painting portals because that's how she's outworking the anointing in her. Did you get that? The anointing looks like something. It feels like something. It manifests something. And, and, it, and, and we, one of our challenges in the church, I'm talking about all of us in the church, is that we, we tend to have religious eyes on how the anointing works, on how God can work. So think about, for me, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an, in my strength finders. You know, one of my key things is maximizer, right? So I'm a maximizer. So it's like, well, how am I... How am I going to outwork that? How is the anointing going to outwork itself in the marketplace for me? So I, I um, many years ago, uh, I say many years ago, like five, six years ago, I, I coached a bodybuilder. N- not, not about his body because, you know, what have I got to say? It, this guy, this guy looked like an Adonis, you know, like this Greek god. He was beautiful guy and, you know, muscles on his muscles. And the reason he asked me to coach him was he actually asked me to coach him because he'd become so narcissistic that he lost the ability to communicate with women. Because every time he was in front of a girl, he just wanted to talk about his meal plan and the size of his bicep. And he, he, he but, you know, he was a young guy and he, he didn't want to be, like somehow he'd come to a crisis point and he didn't want to be that guy, you know, didn't want to be old and alone with all his muscles at 65, you know. And so I coached him. I remember I coached him for about six years to help him recalibrate his life and be able to get some balance in there. You know, I, I thank God he's married today. Hallelujah, right? Uh, he wasn't a believer. But as I was coaching him and I could see his challenge, uh, I, I remember I, I said to the Lord, it was like a, just a thought. I said to the Lord, gee, you know, one day I'd love to be able to help elite athletes. That was just like a thought. I was like, I'd love to be able to help them. Of course, not, not in their physical dimension, but just, you know, this, this balancing of their life. Gee, that'd be awesome. And it was just a throwaway comment. Gee, I'd love to do that. Two years ago, I'm online speaking to a, a group of, I just think, pastors and leaders in the church in Australia talking about marketplace ministry. And what I don't know is online is an elite athlete in the NRL uh, field in Australia watching me. And after we got offline, he calls me, he tracks me down, he calls me and he says to me, David, would you be interested in partnering with me around helping the elite athletes in the NRL, the men in the NRL, who, you know, they might be great sportsmen on the field, but off the field, they're terrible. They beat their wives, they, you know, money, all that, you know, just corrupt, you know, just the toxic culture of the elite sports, you know, which I'm sure that, you know, is no, no, not, not dissimilar here. And I thought, surely not, Lord. You know, surely not that this random thought that I had many years ago, that this would come back to me and begin to be a manifestation of our anointing. Well, I worked for six months to develop a program, a mentorship program to coach elite athletes, not how to be, the, the, the tagline was teaching men how to be great men off the field as well as on the field. And we started teaching, like, so the program was really a mentorship program that was teaching them how to, you know, emotional intelligence, how to, the love languages, you know, all the stuff that we know as Christians. Uh, but what I did was I, I built this, 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 this full program, this full discipleship program, uh, and I stripped out all the scriptures I just kept all the kingdom concepts because you know the kingdom works, right? Whether you're saved or not saved, like the kingdom works because the kingdom is the universal principles of creation. So, so yes, the kingdom is enhanced with the Spirit of God inside of you, but the principles work. 
That's why generosity works, whether you're a heathen or a, or, or a believer. Do you understand that? Like, just, it just works because it's an eternal principle. It's not just a religious notion. And so anyway, so, so we did that. We built that. And then we went to the NRL and offered them this program. And here's the interesting thing. They said, we've never seen a program like this. Not, not to this level of integration. We've never seen it before. And here's the, 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 the funny thing is people went, oh, wow, that's a great, great ministry. And they said, you know, that's like, that's great. So, you know, who are you going to get to fund it? And I said, the athletes will pay us to disciple them. Not only will the athletes pay us to disciple them, but the NRL, the national sporting body, actually offered and said, we will pay we will put $2,500 for every athlete that says yes. We will pay out of our pocket. So do you, do you get this? The, the NRL or the sporting body, that could be the same as your, you know, I don't know, what's, what's your, for the rugby union, what would be the rugby? Right, so it would be like them paying, think about this, them paying for you to disciple their athletes. So, so, so we, uh, anyway, so we're in the midst of that. We're in the midst of integrating that. And this year we're believing not only that we're going to be integrating that into the NRL, but actually into all the sporting codes in Australia. Because here's what I've been saying. I've been saying that the largest church in our nation, of Australia, is not the Christian church. It's not the Muslim church. It's not the Hindu church. It's none of them. It's the sport church. The sport church, you know, it's like, it's, it's the religion of our nation. And I said, what if, what if God... In, with the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. What if God wants to take the anointing into the sport world of our nation and begin to disciple it from the inside out? That's, that's how the anointing was. So the question I have this morning is, so what's your assignment? And how are you going with your assignment? It doesn't have to be, you know, Bonnie Gray did not, now, by the way, let me finish the story of Bonnie Gray. Bonnie Gray now is uh, one, of the great, uh, one of the key art sellers in the nation who has the six top artists who she represents in the nation has, has grabbed Bonnie Gray and put her into number seven. And so Bonnie Gray now, her art is sold all over the world. Not only she's all over the world, this year she got invited to go to Paris later this year to be the key artist to the dignitaries or the rich and famous in Europe. They go to this retreat for four days and she's been asked to be the artist that comes and does like a four-day workshop with these elite. So she's got to teach them how she gets her inspiration for her art. So do you understand, like this is a little girl, this is a little 20-something-year-old girl in the Central Coast that said that little art thing is just in my heart and I'm not sure what to do with it. Like big things start by little things. So you might go, but I've only got a little thing. I've got this little, you know, my, my, I'm, not, you know I'm, not the, I'm not the boss at work. I'm just the worker. My Bible tells me there was a cleaner in the house of a general who had leprosy who was able to be the hinge, as it were, for his life to go and get healed in Israel and come and actually be, become, as it were, a follower of God called Naaman. She wasn't the head of his house. She was the cleaner. 
Christine King, I told this story, I'll, I'll say it again. Christine King was a single mother uh, fleeing domestic violence on the welfare benefit for 10 years, came and joined our Entrepreneurs Academy that we built at our church. So we, were, we, we, we trained kingdom entrepreneurs, we coached them. She came and joined that just because she felt the Lord speak to her and tell her to come and join that. And she did. She didn't even know what she was going to do. In a couple of months, she decided, well, I could build a cleaning company because I, clean, I know how to clean my house. So she, she, she builds this cleaning company. It doesn't have any clients. It's just a concept. Well, within three months, she starts to get a couple of clients. And she, in her, with her first client, when she's cleaning her first house and she gets to clean the toilet, as she's cleaning the toilet, the spirit of discouragement comes over her and says to her, Christine, you'll be nothing more than a toilet cleaner. She's about to, she's about to agree with that, that, that voice and that spirit She's about to agree with that in her soul and her spirit rises up within her and she shouts in the toilet. No one's home. She shouts in the toilet. She says, I am Joseph in the house of Potiphar and people will see the glory of God through my company. Christine King, within three years, not only got off welfare benefits, she now runs a national cleaning company that has offices in every state of Australia. She, she has like just multiple employees and most of her employees are women that she rescued out of domestic violence to hire them. So it really doesn't matter where you start. Uh, in the book of Job, it says, though your beginning was small, Though you listen to this, someone needs to hear this. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter days will greatly increase. That's what the anointing does. Jesus says, Hey, I, I'm anointed. And he and he declares what he's anointed for. He's anointed for hope. He's hope to the poor, the poor in spirit, the poor in heart. Those that, you know, the most poorest people in your city drive Mercedes. I saw a guy uh, just past the hotel yesterday. I heard him before I saw him driving this Lamborghini. That used to impress me when I was 20 years old. I'm not denying that's a wonderful car. I'm just saying I I don't automatically think, gee, that guy's rich. Because actually, you know, he he might be terribly poor. Now, he might be wonderfully rich as well in the sense of, you know, pure heart and, and, and everything else. But but Jesus says the anointing, what it makes you, it makes you hope for the poor. You, you are, listen, you are commissioned to be hope for the poor in your, in your sphere, in your workplace, in your school, in your expression tomorrow. You are hope for the poor. You are that because the anointing is upon you. You are freedom, listen to this, for the brokenhearted. <laughs> you are the walking love of God. In that school tomorrow, in that workplace, in your home, in your neighbourhood, to your neighbour, in this city, you are anointed to be freedom for the brokenhearted. There's lots of brokenhearted people in this city right now. And I understand that we grieve, but the Bible says that we don't grieve like the world grieves. And so I'm not telling you, look, I'm not suggesting that you're not going to be grieving or that you're not grieving but, but the exhortation of Scripture says that we don't grieve the same way. And that doesn't make us better. What it means is we're equipped to be freedom to the brokenhearted this week. But, but I'm grieving. Yeah, I know that, but we don't grieve because the same way because we are not people that are without hope. 
Do you understand? That's the difference. It's not that, oh, well, we're in denial. That doesn't work. Denial is the first stage of grief. But then you've got to come, you've got to go from denial to acceptance and then anger and then resolution. You know, you've got to go through the stages. I love this. I love this. He says, the anointing on me makes me new eyes to the blind. <laughs> Think about this. How do you become new eyes to the blind? Because, because your job, my job, is to reveal how the Father is at work in the lives of those that don't know Him yet. You become their eyes, as it were. You, you explain the goodness of God. You, you, when you're there, you, I remember we were teaching our prophetic team, uh, teaching them evangelism. We're talking about prophetic evangelism. And we said, let's explore maybe some things that we don't. And so what we did is we spent a number of months, we spent about six months last year uh, being, becoming proficient in, in interpreting dreams, Right? And here's what we said. We said, sometimes, you know, when you're speaking to someone and, you know, maybe the, the God topic comes up or whatever, there's an opportunity and they go, oh, yeah, no, nah, I mean, God doesn't, you know, God doesn't speak to me. Well, well what we, 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 we actually coach one another in this. We said, doesn't speak to you. No, do, and we said, like, do you dream? Like, do you have dreams? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I dream all the time, you know. Do you ever remember any of your dreams? Oh, well, not really, but yeah, maybe this one. Sure, tell, tell me the dream. And as they tell the dream, we just believe God that the dream's prophetic. As a matter of fact, I, my opinion is that most dreams are prophetic, whether you're saved or unsaved. It's just that we don't know the language, so we're foreigners to the dream. We're foreigners to the language. And so we, we coached our people to say, really? Uh, that was the dream? Well, you know, like, I believe God speaks to us in dreams. And actually, white means this and, you know, uh, uh, water means this and gold means this. And, you know, maybe God is speaking and how people have begun, begun to do that. And they, literally, it's an excuse to prophesy. It's, it's an, but it's, it's under, under the banner of, oh, a dream. I, I'm telling you, there's, how do you become new eyes for the blind? You, you, you show believers how the Father is already at work in their lives even before they come to Christ. Every one of us, before we came to Christ, it wasn't like, when we came to the altar, that God went, oh, hello. Oh, I didn't, oh, great. Yeah, great. Now you're my child. Now I'm going to be engaged with you. It's like, no, I knew you. I've been calling you. I've been chasing you. As a matter of fact, I think, I think believers have a, believers are, you know, it's like God chases you through all your dirt and all your tragedy and all your rebellion, loves you in spite of it all. Then you become his son and his daughter and you stuff up, and you think that God hates you. It's like, what are you talking about? When you were a heathen dog in rebellion against Him, He loved you with an un unending love. He chased you down like God's the ultimate stalker. He's the ultimate stalker. Like He just stalked you and stalked you and chased down and overwhelmed you and overwhelmed you with His love. And now that you're his son or his daughter and you stuff up and you do something stupid, you say, oh, he's washed his hands. Is that? It's the most ridiculous notion. We are eyes, new eyes for the blind. I love this. We are, the, we're anointed as proclaimers of freedom. We proclaim the love of God in the midst of it all. Yeah, but God loves you. 
Yeah, but the love of God, it's not, God's not intimidated by your fear. He's not intimidated by your shame and your guilt and your muck and the love of God. We proclaim as a freedom. That's what the anointing does for us. I love that. I love that the body of Christ in Christ church, every saint, not just the pastors, not just the, the ones on staff, every one of us are anointed this week <laughs> to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, eyes for the blind, and proclaimers of freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for a moment? I'd love to, uh, at the bank, and come back up just for a moment. Maybe the keyboard guy in the band, just. What I'd love to do, I just feel like, even as I've been speaking, right, like how it works, like, let me just say, maybe, maybe do me to explain something to you. So I'm, I'm a revival guy. I, I, I grew up in a revival church, and I was used to, the, when a prophet came to town, that meant, Traditionally, that meant that the guy was going to come or the girl was going to come and she was going to pick about 20 people out of the crowd and read their mail and everyone was going to cry. And, and that's all good. You know, like I'm telling you, hang on, listen, that's, that's good. Like, uh, let me not knock that. But it became the only, the only kind of filter in which I understood that the prophetic ministry could operate. I never, I never understood that actually when a prophet comes in your midst and sometimes just delivers himself or delivers a burden that in that burden itself it becomes prophetic to me and it not only prophesies in the moment that he delivers it or she delivers it it continues to prophesy to me until until it kills the things inside of me that are not aligned to that prophetic declaration prophecy is actually supposed to kill a part of you it's the part of you that would resist it that's, that's not awoken yet to that dimension of Christ in your life and your assignment. That's what the prophetic does. It comes and it agitates and it sits inside of you and it rocks you and it rocks you. It continues to, if it's, if it's authentic and real and it, and, it, and it rocks you and it shifts you and what happens is that the prophetic is always supposed to transform you, move you, awaken you to more of Christ. And so how will you know if, I prophesied to you. You'll know because this word will be like shut up inside of you and it'll begin to it'll begin to haunt you a little bit. And you'll get out there on Tuesday and you'll be, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, and you'll be in the workplace or in the school or whatever, and and you this thought will come. I'm anointed to stand in this place and I'm on assignment and the anointing looks like something, and maybe right now it looks like hope. Maybe it looks like faith. Maybe it looks like an act of love in this moment, in this school, in this, you know. And so I, I, I just, I'd like to pray kind of like a prayer. I like to, I want to like kind of impart this, seal it somehow, seal this message into you. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. I want to ask you, if the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, are you going to say yes to that? Are you going to say, yes, Lord, I receive that anointing. I receive the anointing understanding that it's not just for me, but it's for this assignment, for, to make me hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, eyes for the blind and a proclaimer of freedom. 
Holy Spirit, right now. Right now, Lord, as there's just open hearts right now in this room. I, I, in Jesus' name, I want to throw these four arrows in. I want to declare them like a prophetic commission. A prophetic commission of your anointing upon this church, upon these people, upon this assignment, even right here, right now. It's not a new assignment. It's the assignment that they've been on. I, I just get an opportunity to bring a different colour to it that complements that complements what, what's already been happening here. So here's the prayer. Here's the arrows. Father, right now, every heart that's open, every, every spirit that's saying, yes, Lord, count me in this prayer. Yes, Lord, count me in this prayer. I pray right now, in Jesus' name, I declare the anointing upon you equips you, empowers you to be hope for the poor. Hope for the poor in spirit. A, a word of life that, that even as people talk about, you know, the different things that are going on, that you'll say, God's greater than that. The gospel is greater and somehow be the gospel. Be that witness, Lord. Hope for the poor. I declare right now, in Jesus' name, the anointing will make us freedom. Lord, freedom carriers for the brokenhearted in our city. Freedom carriers for the brokenhearted in our workplace, in the spheres of our assignment, Lord God, in the, in the coffee houses, in the, in the petrol station, in the, in the shopping centre, Lord God, that we become proclaimers of freedom, Lord God, uh, ministers of freedom for the broken in this city. I thank You, Lord, that You're going to, Lord, help us to be the eyes to the blind, to be able to point out Your love, Your work, Your way, your, the moving of Your Spirit, how You're calling, how You're wooing, how You're helping, how You're healing men and women that don't even know You, that don't even maybe as yet fully understand at all. But thank You, Lord, we're being those eyes for them. And Father, we thank You right now. You're giving us an anointing to be proclaimers of freedom, of life, of liberty, of grace, of the goodness of God, of the love of God, of the mercy of God, of the forgiveness of God. Father, we thank You. We've received an anointing. The anointing is upon us this morning because, 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 because the anointing is upon us. Father, we thank You. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge it. We receive it. We thank You for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.